Hello everyone and welcome back to episode 50 of the Tondel Tindu podcast. And yes, we have hit 50 episodes and once again, like, I have to just sh- like say a big thank you to every one of you who have been supporting the podcast since we started as of the time of recording, which is like uh, September 19th. Um, this was also the first time we posted an episode on Spotify last year. So this is like the one year Spotify anniversary, so to speak. And continuing on with this day of milestones, this is also the first episode that we're doing after hitting 1,000 Spotify streams. So 1,000 streams is a mental number. So again, a huge thank you to every one of you for like following us on Spotify, listening and promoting the episode, listening to and promoting the episodes. We we couldn't have done this without you. And as such, we'll continue producing this kind of content weekly. If you like this stuff, please do continue giving us support, giving us your feedback. And with that being said, as it's, you know, 1,000 plays, it's uh, the 50th episode, and this is our like first year anniversary of being on Spotify and other audio platforms. It's only right that we have a really special episode, and with with that, we have a really special guest. But before that, we're also joined by our regular co-host, Mingza. Hey, everybody. Thanks for supporting Tondel Tinu Podcast, and I hope that you all continue to listen to whatever content we create. We're also joined by a really special guest who's been on the podcast before, and I'm sure y'all loved that episode. That episode, I remember, got a lot of positive feedback, and we're hoping that this episode will be more of the same. So joining us is Lean. Lean is back to give us more advice and psychology tips. So Lean, how's life been? Hello, Rish. It's been going good. Congratulations on hitting 1K on your plays and on the 50th anniversary. I mean, not anniversary, I would say 50th post, right? Yeah, 50th post. Yeah. And also, like, the first, like, Spotify, like, anniversary for the first audio. Yeah, it's incredible. My God. All right. Um, I'm Lean, and um, I'm a third-year psych student, and I'm super interested in the general area of psychology and especially trauma psychology these days. Very into it. Yeah, that's a small intro on me. Okay, very cool. So Lean was also here before on the previous episode where we talked about, you know, we talked about the misconceptions about psychology. I'm sure that was a very interesting episode where we talked about, we talked about all things psychology and got Lean to psychoanalyze some of us as well, which was very interesting. (laughs) But today we're taking, I think, a more lighthearted tone. And as you've been following the previous episodes, uh, Kishore, who's not with us today, and I um, have moved overseas to continue our studies like Kishore is in Ireland right now uh, awaiting to start his computer engineering degree and I'm in the US about to start I mean I have started uh, pursuing computer science and as y'all are aware of the cultural differences are a huge thing but also you know being an international student I believe as I'm experiencing myself now it does come with a lot of its own caveats like you would be feeling homesick. You have to adapt to a new culture. You have to get used to a new environment. And I felt it was appropriate to get Lean on today because Lean is someone who has like undertaken that journey before. And being a psychology student, I'm sure that Lean has tons of useful advice to give us. So without further ado, uh, Lean, I must ask, was it daunting the first time moving abroad? Hmm. That is a, that's a very like, um, 
good opening to this, I think, Rish, because I think the first thing that comes to our mind when we, you know, have the idea of moving out from home and going to a new place is the anxiety usually associated with it. The idea of like making new friends and going to a place where you're completely unfamiliar with. And the answer would be like, for me at least, it would have been yes. Yeah, um, I think it was incredibly daunting, the idea of moving out. And there's also the added layer of like being away from your family, I think. Like when you first move to a different place because you've been surrounded by people and friends and things you're always familiar with. And then you move to a place where you feel like you have nothing to tether you to. So the idea of like having a huge chunk of your identity being replaced with someone else, something else is I think um, a pretty scary experience for anyone who has experienced moving out from their own homes and maybe going to a new land for their studies or work or anything. You know, Lean, you mentioned being away from your friends and having like your identity taken away from you. I must ask, how's it how's it been for you keeping in touch with your friends from like your home country? Um, thankfully, um, the time difference between Maldives and Malaysia isn't too terrible. It's just three hours. Uh, we're just three hours ahead of the Maldives time. So I wouldn't say it's been like awful. To be honest, I've done like I have like uh, different weekends for each of my friend groups that I like catch up with. So I try my best to like put it on like a calendar and have a set schedule for it because even subconsciously, like because we're on the, we're in different like countries, we're in different countries and obviously I can't um, text them whenever and expect a reply. It's nice to have like a set time. So I wouldn't say I've been doing very terrible but it's definitely like a lot a lot different compared to what i was used to of course when i was being back home you know when you mentioned calendar i feel like that's really my my like your biggest asset when you're like abroad and like so busy because it's so hard honestly to keep track of track of all the like commitments you have going for you (laughs) one thousand (laughs) percent Like, I think I remember when, like, we were about to schedule this episode and you sent me that link. I'm like, wow, like, you're really organized <laughs> with all these meeting times and everything. And I'm like, yeah. I really need to get that organized. Oh, my God. Yeah, Rich, honestly, calendarly, like, okay, definitely not a plug here, but I discovered, like, Not a paid like, promotion, uh... although we hope it, really, we <laughs> yeah. hope it is. <laughs> yeah, like, a few, a few months ago, I discovered it and it's been life-changing. Having it sync up with my Google Calendar and, like, having people, you know, like be able to know what I'm doing at what time so they can book me for other times has been super helpful. So I don't yeah, have to go I'm, back and forth with each of my friends. Like, you're such a busy yeah. person. Like your friends need to need to book a time slot. Like, okay, lean. We just need to hang out for one hour. Let's just set a one hour meeting at like let's hit four o'clock. Honestly, I, I kid you not. Like I literally have to set a timer every single time I meet up with my friends so I know like I have to leave now. I mean, it, I I do get that, Lean, because even like for me, I know I've just started out my degree here, but honestly, it's been very overwhelming with not just the amount of assignments I get from classes, but also the amount of organizations that one can be involved here. And I think for me as a freshman here, and, and I think I've heard from a lot of people around me that it they usually tend to get involved into in like many organizations and many clubs and try to go to as many outings as they can because well you're in a new land you don't have many friends or acquaintances and I think the general consensus is we need to make friends quickly and we need to find a friend group 
quickly so mm. that you know we can acclimatize better but oftentimes I, f- I find it's not the easiest thing to do because I feel like you can reach out to people but it takes much longer to develop that connection and when you're in so many circles it's hard to determine which friends will stick by you and which circle really matters the most mm-hmm. so what would you say is like the best way to sort of like determine which people you should stick with and with and which which uh organizations or which spaces you should prioritize that's a that's a super good question rish honestly and i'm very certain that rish you're probably having like a much much harder than time that i'm having with like making sure like you connect your friends back home as well because the time difference between you and malaysia it's it's crazy yeah, it's a it's weird like, one because it's 12 hours yeah. which is yeah. a lot but it also kind of makes it easier to know when people be away because i just changed am to pm and everything works yeah but it has been different <laughs> like i have noticed i have been talking to certain people a, a lot less a lot less than i would do normally mm-hmm. but thankfully like this podcast is also a weekly thing so this is when i connect to this group of friends but with mm-hmm. with other friends it's a bit of like it's a bit hit or miss like whenever they happen to be available and i happen to be available we chat but it's been a lot less than I'm used to. But yes, yeah. Lynn, as we were saying about, you know, yeah. prioritizing. Yeah, student organization, yeah. And like, which friend group? Yeah, that's, honestly, I think in regards to like, being overwhelmed, like, I think the first, I can address maybe the first part of the question, uh, like, with the idea of like, being a freshman and having lots of organizations and opportunities that you can commit yourself to. Uh, I think I struggled with the very same thing as any university student does, like, when you first begin like which ones you vibe with the most. So I think the best thing you can probably do in this is like, because the workload is a lot less during the first year. And like, I would say probably your first semester of the first year, like first sem, second sem, it's usually very okay. Um, depending on what you're studying, if it's Kishore, I feel really bad for him. He's doing engineering, must be super hard, but still like, it's gonna be significantly less, <laughs> yeah. Good to know. Because actually, yeah. Lean, I do have a question. Um, for your degree, right? Do you have were you able to choose your subjects or do or is it like if you're a psych major, you have a set list of subjects that you take at a specific time? That's pretty much it. Yeah, it's the second one. Um uh, for us, we have to definitely like do all the compulsory core modules, which is like all the essential stuff we have to know. And any anything that we can opt out of is usually like put on our electives list. And most of them like are not necessarily psych related. They usually are like as it goes electives, like completely different things to what I'm studying. For example, right now I'm I'm doing photojournalism as one of my electives. Oh yeah. so that that's very different from psychology. Is like very yeah. <laughs> And so most of the content for like my psych degree comes from the compulsory list of things I have to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, I, I know it's the same for Kisha, but it's definitely the former for me, which has been eye-opening to say the least. Because what we Ooh. have is, a, it's more like, you know how colleges have a credit system, right? For your subjects. Yeah. But yeah. in the US, it's more like, okay, too, so if you want to declare your major, like, I'm a CS major right now. So to declare your major, you have to take certain electives and certain, certain like prerequisites in order to declare your degree. But the rest of the units are like for you to be to you to fulfill with any other type of course that you're interested in. So wow. it is That's... cool, but mm-hmm. at the same time, it's a bit overwhelming and a bit, you know, 
you really need to pace. You need to be able to like plan it properly and pace yourself. Like right now, I have an introduction to computer science class, which is like the standard class that every CS major takes, like when they start out. But I also have uh, a class called combinatorial structures, which is basically like a math class. But it's not oh. an introductory CS class because apparently you only take that class if you have like calculus prerequisites in high school. And since I did that at A level, I do have credit. So it's not just freshmen because you're mixed in with like sophomores and juniors and other older students. So the pacing really is difficult in in that sense. But also mm-hmm. it's it's a lot more freeing because I also have like a writing class. And honestly, just okay. doing in, just doing academic writing and just writing has honestly been a bit like therapy for me instead of just doing math all the time. It's just nice to sit That's back really and just, nice you know, analyze you. a passage and read and write. <laughs> it's been a lot more freeing than I would, I, I imagined it would be. Oh my God. Yeah. Like I still relate with that though. Um, I think like I've, and any math I've had to do has been purely related to research. So I'm sure I'm doing a far, far lot less math than you are ish. But I think like academic writing in terms of English is just honestly so therapeutic. It's so like, it's so mindless at some point. I That's know. why I took ju- journalism as my minor. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's interesting. I still haven't thought about my manner yet, but I'm pretty sure I'll have like opportunities to figure that out. But really about writing being a therapy, it's really been like a lifesaver because for my writing class, we've been we are assigned like chapters of, of this book that we're reading to prepare for that. And honestly, just because I remember since um I think in Malaysia it's form four. If you convert that, that would be like 10th grade. Since mm-hmm. the focus was so much of, on exams, and I think Mingzi also can attest to that since like we were, you know, we were in the same school, we all had the same grind of SPM being the be it end all of everything. It was just the focus was so much on exams that honestly, I used to be someone who re- like used to like reading a lot. I just stopped because like, honestly, because I didn't really have time to like sit down and just read. And honestly, now being put back in a situation where you're sort of like forced to read not to say forced, but like you have to read in order to prepare for your class. It just, Mm -hmm. it's so relaxing being able to just sit down and get absorbed in the book again and just forget about the rest of the world. It's like, it's very therapeutic and I highly recommend people just get back into reading. It's really, it's really been like a lifesaver. Yeah, I think like the struggle though of like picking reading back up after like all of us or SPM has traumatized you is is a feat for most people. I had to go through a really similar process. I used to love reading too. Like until like the age of 16, I think I was also like a eater of books to be honest. And then like the moment all of year hit, you know, that was <laughs> that was just... my time of like just, just I think like the idea of like reading as you said was so appalling at that point. Yeah, because yeah. it's more like there's two there's two types of reading I feel like one is like reading for like academic purposes like that's the reading you do every day because you need to know prepare for your classes prepare for exams mm-hmm. and whatnot but also like leisure reading that's something that even that for me personally has become like a very difficult task because I feel mm-hmm. like there's this inherent fear that once I start a book I won't be able to put it down and then that just messes up my whole schedule but even if I do eventually pick it up and then once I stop reading, it would be so hard to get started again. Yeah, 1000%. I think like what I was referring to before was actually the leisure reading part even. Like oh, I wasn't like, uh, yeah, um, it was like having like a huge slump like of like three years when I was from 16 to the ages of like 19. <laughs> uh-huh, so was... that the same path I'm on right now. 
Yeah, so I've been forcing myself to get back into it. Like, reading, like, trashy rom-com type books really helped me, like, get into the vibe. And then once I got <laughs> into a rut, you know, like, just read the ah, type yes. of books that get you hooked on for a bit and then move on to things that, like, will allow you to pace, you know, and the then read out of your own The trick bit of literature. Yes, 1,000%. <laughs> Bridgerton, like, for the win if you're going to read a trashy rom-com. Ah. So, uh, Mingzi, I must ask, like, since we're on this subject, has it been, how has the transition been, like, from, you know, studying so hard for SPM and just being in school to, like, your new, your current situation? Like, is there any habits from, like, those days that have still, like, spilled over? Or do you think your life's, like, pretty much better off right now? I would say it's probably better off now because you don't have to d- deal with the uh, your homework homeworks and everything but instead since I'm working now you got a lot of people to please if not your salary is gonna get cut and, and stuff among along the lines but yeah there are yeah. Some, there are benefits of school and working but to be honest I do prefer my school days rather than now. At least, uh, at least in the school days, I don't have certain people to please rather than me working now. Ha. Mm-hmm. Well, that is the joy of retail, huh? <laughs> uh, it's not as joyous as everyone thinks. I think everyone in a point in their life should do retail just to get a feel for it. Yeah. And then they think back to themselves, oh wow, was I such an a-hole before? Makes you appreciate those people. You know, we get paid minimum wage, you know, to do our job. It's not like we have to take, we have to take your nonsense and your, what, ADRC into our paycheck. Oh, definitely. That's true. Could not have said, yeah. I think um, having the experience of like working after you finish your SVM or level is actually super crucial, I think. Most of us would probably get a job in like customer service or like retail or something really basic because that's all we can do. And that experience, I think, really like sits with you for the rest of your life and really humanizes you. I think it's a really good learning point for whoever has finished off the SVM. Doing what Mingzo is doing before your college. Sounds like it, it's a pretty good plan, in my opinion. Yeah, that's but, actually a misconception we were taught in school. A lot to just say that you should always study first, then only go work. But I don't think that's true. Well, there are many factors into why you would work at such an early age or along the lines. But yeah, I think gaining experience early on really helps you with your, let's say, if you're planning to get a better job in the future or just have a change of career. It really helps because you know at least what kind you'll be dealing with. Even if you can't change your job into a totally different one, like maybe on customer service to business or anything. But if you are planning to work on the exact same field, yeah, you'll be at least experienced and you won't, you know, feel disappointed about how bad the customer service is or, you know, you won't have your expectation get crushed by it. You know, it does sound like it does teach you a lot of like resilience because I feel like most jobs you end up working with people either like to serve people or to work with people to get something done. And I think that experience would definitely change your perspective as you have attested to multiple times. Mm-hmm. But on that note though, customer service here in the US is 
although pretty much similar, there's a lot of dif- there's a lot of like differences you need to get used to. Like, like for the first time, I had no idea. Like we had to tip we had to tip like our waiters and waitresses at restaurants. Oh, wow. that, oh, yeah. yeah, that was that was something pretty foreign to me. But then I was told that like you know, uh, these workers get paid like a lot less than like minimum wage here, so like these tips are kind of necessary. So that's made me view this whole the whole customer service industry here in like a whole new light. But it's quite different from Malaysia, where you would mostly see students or people like working before college or working part time at like supermarkets and grocery stores and restaurants. But over here in the U.S., you tend to see a lot of immigrants, like mostly older immigrants working at restaurants and. Sometimes you can kind of tell that like they're really working really hard. Like you can tell that they want to do really well at their job, and it it's like been so hard for them. At that point, you often feel for them, and I feel like personally that knowing what it's like for them to come over to a new country and you know work so hard to provide for their families more like it feels like an obligation to tip, but also like to try and make their life easier. But I've definitely mm-hmm. ran into people who do the exact opposite. Which oh is a bit hilarious, but it's also a bit funny. Like I think Mingzi, you were asking me about whether I have whether I've run into Karens here in the US, and that that definitely has been true. Oh yeah, that's what I'm actually quite interested about. But before we get to Karen, <laughs> about the tipping system, it's true they say something about if it's the service is good, you you can tip around like what they say ten percent of your total bill. It's twenty percent. Really oh, it's twenty percent. <laughs> So it was like bad. You gave five to ten percent. Usually, it's like the standard tip. Apparently, from what I was told, is ten percent. If the service was good, it's twenty. If it's bad, you either it's like five or you don't tip at all. Oh my god! Please never don't tip at all. I I have been tipping too. Like to be fair, I have been (laughs) tipping. But it's also helpful because some restaurants they act like on your receipt they actually print like what's a 15% tip or what's an 18% tip or what's a 20% tip oh thank god but you still have to do the math in your head like you have to like still like total the total the tip up yourself yeah Uh oh my god that's been good it's stressful it's a good mental exercise service is bad but come on pity those people they they work below minimum wage yeah like i think there was a debate once in the state something about whether or not they should abolish tipping but I don't want to get into their politics because it's not my say in it. I think personally, a good system would be to like just absorb the tip. Yeah, honestly. And like, like do, do the calculations the... for them. Yeah. Like I think some restaurants yeah. here do have like a service charge already, but the majority of them don't. So it's mm. usually like up to the customer. It's terrible that like, you know, it's dependent on the satisfaction of the customers because people can be like real assholes. Definitely, people can be very picky and like, well, I, I do accept that, you know, people can have opinions, but sometimes like, come on, it can be a bit much sometimes, the things mm. that you ask for, like at the end of the day, they're only like employees, it's not like they're, they're the ones preparing the food or they're the ones determining what's salty and what's not, it's like they're just trying to do their job. Yeah, 1000%, it's really sad. I think the states need to come up with a lot of better systems for stuff, but we won't be talking about that. <laughs> a lot of commentary can be made. Oh yeah, Mingzi, you were saying? As somebody who actually works in retail customers, I can tell you it's really bad. I work in a pharmacy and people really expect you to like have it all. I mean, come on, it's I'm a, I work in a pharmacy, people. I don't work in like the all all you have store. I have gotten many weird requests, and it gets weirder by the day. 
<laughs> what was the worst that you've heard so far? I was about to ask the same thing. <laughs> I'm not sure. I forgot what the worst part, but some of the weirdest one would be they ask us, do we sell coats? And I don't mean something like those what disposable ones. I mean like those that you get in the boutique or anything along that line. Like those kinds of coats. And I'm like... But, but it's uh, a pharmacy. Exactly. It's a pharmacy. What do you expect us to sell? I was like, I don't even know how some people even ask for umbrellas. Really, it just never ends. The you know, it's interesting you say that because the pharmacies here do sell umbrellas. <laughs> uh, we don't. Maybe I can see why someone would ask for an umbrella at a pharmacy, but I really don't see like court things at all. And then they really expect you to have like all medicines in the world. And then we tell them, oh, we don't have this medicine. And then you're like, and then they go, but you're a pharmacy. And I was like, just go see a doctor or go to a hospital. Like they have it, not us. We're a pharmacy. And a lot of people get confused, but I don't. I think it's like illegal for us to give you antibiotics unless doctor prescribed it. So like a lot of people always ask for antibiotics, and then we have to explain to them why we can give them antibiotics, and then they go, "But this medicine is important to me." And then they say, "Your pharmacy, you're supposed to sell stuff like this." And I'm like, "No, we can't do that. As long as you don't have a doctor's note or." Anything saying that a doctor approved of this medicine so that we can even prescribe or sell it to you. It's really pain in the ass when you have to do this like almost every day. It's the same here. And also like, I know it, like, in terms of getting, uh, you need a prescription to get medicine. I think over here, what I found different was like getting contact lenses here. Like over in Malaysia, they just hardly give you a prescription. They just tell you what your power is and then you can just order it online. But here, even if you yeah. want to order it online or go to the store, like you need to have a like a US doctor's prescription or at least convert your prescription at home to a prescription here. Because apparently oh the God. FDA says it's illegal for you to just buy contact lens off a shelf. Oh my God, that's... <laughs> well, like, that's okay, so I'm, I'm just going to stick to glasses most of the time. Like I do have a pair like with me that I brought from Malaysia but apart from that no I wouldn't want to get context here it feels like so much of red tape in order to just get up like some damn contact lenses I mean yeah, what's exactly. contact lenses I mean what's the what's the what's the red tape here FDA what's, what, what is it for no I mean <laughs> because they say it's illegal to do it without a US doctor's prescription so like you would have to pay I think north of a hundred dollars just to get an eye an eye inspection here or an eye exam oh good god oh. Like, what did they expect us to use those contact lenses to start a forest fire or something? <laughs> <laughs> Is that what they expect? I can just use a magnifying glass. There'll be guns if everything is, you know, capable of a terrorist attack. So who knows, maybe we can do things with his contact lenses if they're scared of. <laughs> they're like, like, if anything, they're just, start, just giving us more ideas, making us more curious as to why it's so difficult to get contact lenses. Yeah, crazy. But yeah, I never like fully answered your question. Should we go back to that? Uh, which question was that? The one about prioritizing? Uh, yeah, right? like, yeah, prioritizing and like making like friends in terms of like which friends to stick around with more. Yeah. This is a good exercise because like even we got sidetracked here. And honestly, I feel like that happens to me a lot. Like, like I can be involved with like one group of friends and like we were just like going out and like doing stuff and I remember oh yeah I have another appointment to or like oh there's this email that I haven't replied yet and honestly like the the times that you remember you have things to do it's so random yeah truly truly it's very sad though like to have the kick like you know from reality that you have responsibilities 
I think in regards to like like the first part of your question, which was like which crops to like prioritize. I would say like when you're more free, like which essentially would either way, no matter what kind of schedule it is right now in your first year, it's gonna be like at least like six to seven times worse in your let's say third year. So you would be best off if you try to experience as many things that you can vibe with during the first couple of weeks and see what feels like I think the most homely to you I think what I went with was my gut nothing too scientific like I tried to I tried out the debate club I went into the Muslim Association in terms of faith and um I joined the ETC, which was a magazine, and um, I also went to, yeah, I went to, like, multiple, and also, like, I think MUN, and lots of, like, other, like, clubs, and I think at the end, like, around after two months of, like, experiencing some of the things that these clubs are doing, um, I felt that I felt most home in the debaters club, so I ended up sticking with that. I think you should make choices on where you feel the most comfortable and where you feel most like yourself, because at the end of the day, like a certain organization or a society should be nothing uh, more than, you know, like, it, it, I mean, the base of like your choice should be having a good support system outside of your classes. So if it's something you enjoy and if it's something you feel home at, you should definitely stick with that. And as far as the second part of your question goes, as to like which friend groups to like prioritize and to like, or to stick with when you're first big not because there are so many friend circles that you can get involved with. I also, I also like struggled with that myself. I think like uh, in the beginning when you're saying like hi to everyone and then this overwhelming pressure of like being friends with everyone, it's super hard to say no to some things as well sometimes. Like for example, like, there might be some things that some friend circles do that don't exactly align with like, you know, your lifestyle or maybe like your beliefs or something like, for example, in that scenario, you'd be better off saying no to those things. And um, where in other hand, like where on the other hand, you have like just like great friends from different circles, but sometimes their schedules don't align with yours and you end up falling out with them. I think the biggest factor for determining like which friend circles you work best with is probably the test of time i would say like i like i know that none of like the friends you make at the beginning as far as my experience goes and start university saying hi to everyone making friends with everyone and you fall in touch fall out of touch with some of them there's definitely not going to be a grudge held held against you it's just the nature of uni life you don't meet the same people every day and you tend to fall out of touch with them because there's so many responsibilities and you end up probably hanging out more with the people whose schedules schedules align with yours. So I would definitely say that whoever you vibe with the best and whoever you feel most comfortable with and like that aligns with your identity is the type of friends you should pick as it is with any other area in life. And in regards to, I guess, the final part, which is prioritizing like your commitments and when to call your friends back home and your friends, that, the new friends you made now, I think it's all about um, like finding the balance. It's something very cliche to say, but, um, you know, we have this tendency of sometimes when we are in the midst of things, I think um, seeing that thing as our entire universe, I think the best way I can describe this is, um, for example, uh, if you are like someone who um, who's in a relationship, for example, I think there's something that very commonly happens, or at least I've noticed like from my friends around me, like you see that individual as being the center of your universe. And likewise, when you move to a new country, like 
like prioritizing those new friends and your new lifestyle would probably be really important in your mind that can often like eclipse a lot of other things so it's important to remember that they're not the center of the universe rather they're a planet in your solar system like you have a planet for your family and you have a planet for your friends back home and you have a planet for like your significant other if you have one or like you have a planet for the friends you are with right now and all of those planets are equally important and just because you hang out with one planet more right now does not mean does not make the rest of them insignificant it's just you finding which planet you want to hang out with on certain days it's a rule i kind of use in my life right now like understanding that i don't have to keep anything as the center of my universe it can be multiple things and all of them are equally important and it's me choosing like which planet i want to hang out with you know on this particular day essentially you know lean this all really does hit close to home like i'm going to start from like what you mentioned first about finding clubs i don't feel i don't feel kind of i i do feel a bit called out because it's weird because the clubs i chose like the first club i obviously like went to look for was debate and then i also yeah. joined the christians on campus chapter here like for like a, as uh-huh. a faith based club and then i also looked into model un as another <laughs> organization to look at so cuz like <laughs> i, I cuz my whole mindset was like i'm already doing a cs major like i want to like you know try something that's not so computer science heavy so that i can like get out of that circle sometimes and that mm-hmm. was that was my thought process and i'm also like sort of involved with the anime club over here purely because they just screen anime like once a week for like 2 to 3 hours and that feels like something that can help take my mind off like the daily grind which is yeah. good and honestly when you say that i mean i understand that like these things do take time and i'm aware that you know it will take a lot of time for me to fully realize what my priorities should be and the people i do vibe with because ultimately even at my during my short time at taylors it was really the debate club that really helped me get through college like even though i was like i had other friends from my classes and well because i knew that the debate club was the support system that i could vibe with that was what i stuck with i understand it's going to take a much longer for me to find that here because it took long enough as it did back home but mm-hmm. ultimately i feel that the learning the learning curve here is also going to be a factor and being with people in your major like having the same major i noticed doesn't mean that you all are going to have the same goals and the same mindset just because you're studying the same thing like i've mm-hmm. noticed that i do have friends from like my, my computer science classes and my writing class and the other stuff that i'm doing it's just that you realize that okay so you talk to these people in your classes to get help with homework and like you know to hang out like with like for lunch because your schedules are in sync but sometimes sometimes it feels like internally there may be like an obligation to get close to these friends because like oh they they have the same schedule and they have the same goals like maybe they can they can help you and they can be a good support system but oftentimes i find that that's not the case mm-hmm. like cuz i feel like as an individual you're made up of so many different parts and your shared experiences come from so many different places like just because you're in the same place at the same time doesn't mean you all had the same journey to go there and I'm starting to feel like I shouldn't be obligated to you know to try and be exactly like like my other peers or to be like synchronized with whatever they are doing 
and generally just try to find my own path. Like a lot of people ask me like, okay, like why are you doing debate? Or like, why are you like with Christian's campus? Or why are, like, are you doing model UN? Or like, why don't you go out as much? But honestly, I feel like it's been good in a sense not to change who I am because that's going to make it a whole lot more uncomfortable to sort of acclimatize to this. And at the same time, try to find your own path. But it's also been a bit of a challenge as well, because like you said, you know, you not to say that you fall out with friends, but you also, you don't spend as much time with your, your peers as, you know, other people would, and you don't end up being as close to them. And you end up, you know, not exactly having like a social circle yet. But I do feel that that would take time. Would you say this is like normal, a normal experience? 1000% yeah I think like what you said right now Rish it really like it summarizes I think um, a lot of feelings that um, you know students have when they move out and I think it was very it was very beautiful actually the idea of say, of staying true to yourself can seem very like it can seem very daunting I think like because there are so many distractions actually that like if that's egging you on to find new friends to go out more to do things because it's in sync with the rest of your life but it doesn't have to be that way I think um as you said the most important thing I think of like that you must remember I think while like going through these new experiences is at the end of the day asking like was I like comfortable like with the experience I had? Sometimes you might be uncomfortable and that might even mean a good thing because it could be a stress and not a de-stress, like which is essentially pushing you out of your comfort zone towards best better things. Like, but it can also be de-stress where an experience you had didn't align with your identity or like you didn't feel good after like you know you went through that experience and reflecting on that and seeing if it like really vibes with you I think is really important and ultimately like helps you get the best support system for yourself and the best of friends as well because I really resonate with that statement you said about having friends that aren't necessarily like part of your study group because I think it's very true for myself as well um I think most of my close friends here in uni are um, friends who was actually not part of like the course I study. They are not like, I do have very good close um, psychology friends as well, but like most, the majority of them come from the different clubs and the other things I go to, like, you know, where I'm more at leisure and where I'm having fun and I think I'm more myself. Yeah. No, I definitely see that because this is just more of like a casual observation because me being in my computer science classes, I noticed that there's like, there's so many different types of ways that people approach a subject. Like I was sitting in a class one time and the people beside me were basically already talking about getting internships and how to like pass coding interviews and looking at companies to apply to and stuff like that. And then there's other people just, you know, talking about the math and talking about, uh, talking about how difficult it is to keep up in class. And then there's other people just, you know, just sitting there vibing. And like, it feels like it's very difficult to, to find a group because essentially I've come to understand that there's no specific way to behave or there's no specific way to approach whatever you're doing because ultimately it's your own journey in that. And I feel that you really need to carve your own path like for me right now, I honestly, I do have friends within like my classes. I mean, obviously it's only been like one and a half weeks uh, 
Oh no, it's actually probably been two weeks because like we had a holiday last week. So it's been like two weeks ish, more or less, that I've had classes here. And honestly, I can say that while I do have friends in like my computer science classes, and I have made like friends in my clubs that I've been in, and I'm also like pretty close, decently close to my my roommate right now. Mm-hmm. I feel like at this point of time, I still haven't figured out what I need to stick to, what routine works best for me. But I'm pretty sure with time, I need to like trust my my instincts and carve my own path. I don't think that going with the crowd is necessarily the best idea. For sure. Like, um, I think uh, it truly depends on on what you feel is the best wish. Um, at the end of the day, if you think, you know, if the crowd is going towards something that you would also enjoy, then you'd probably follow it. But if not, you would be best, yes, carving your own path. And that definitely takes time. I think it took me probably, like, I think... I think it took me an entire semester, to be honest, to get accustomed to the new life. Because, uh. yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't a terrible experience, you know, acclimatizing. Because I think it can even be really enjoyable because you're getting all of these new experiences and stimuli all at once. And that can be really overwhelming, but can also be super fun. Uh, I think the experience of, like, you know, doing things alone like having your own time being independent and having like um i think even some responsibilities you don't have to carry anymore i think like for example if you live with family there's the idea of doing chores on your parents timetable right or like even having family meetings and family gatherings and all these things take up time and now like that you live alone you have like like a lot of free not free i would say i mean if you're busy like it's not free but it it feels like one less responsibility and one less thing to worry about it does feel different Mm -hmm. but also like you did mention i feel like solitude is such a blessing these days honestly it is okay like uh like i cannot express how much i loved living alone actually right (laughs) right now i don't live alone anymore like i um, I live with my mom, actually. My my family, like, got stuck here during the pandemic, essentially. Ah, and my sister and my dad had to go back home because of their visa. And we're waiting for them to come back. But um, I lived alone for almost an year. And uh, it was it was so, so liberating in every possible way. I think it was not the idea of, like, you know, just, like, you know, I'm going to go crazy because my parents aren't here. But rather it was, like, you know, like, as you said, like having your own time and having your own company and learning to enjoy it has been super nice. It definitely has been. It's been a lot more freeing than I imagined it would be. But on a more lighthearted note, I just want to talk a bit about some of the experiences I've had and like joining a debate club over here and how honestly American debating is so different from what we're used to on like the Asian circuit. Like oh, for no. starters, they have a whole different format to learn. Which is basically, they call it ABDA, or American Parliamentary. Which is oh, basically, okay. it's two against two. But it's, okay. it, it's it feels like a mashup of BP and AP format. So for those who don't know, uh, the British Parliamentary format involves four teams of two speakers going against each other. The Asian Parliamentary format is two teams of three speakers going against each other. In American Parliamentary, it's two teams of two speakers going up against each other. But instead of debating a motion... 
they debate a case. Oh, so, so you present the case. Yeah, apparently how that works is that you're given like a sort of like a rough topic and you're given like, you know, like the standard 15 or to 20 minutes time to like, instead of like debating a motion, you sort of create a motion and a sort of a case as the government team. Of course, you know, you can't do things like squirreling and whatnot, but you essentially create a sort of case to be debated as the government. And then the two teams go back and forth on that. And then you also have like a reply speech. Now, I haven't actually wow. done the debating yet. I've only been to like one meeting. But I can honestly tell like that's going to be such a learning curve to get used to that kind of format. Uh-huh. It honestly sounds very ambiguous. Like, I mean, how do you know if your case even makes sense by the time you present it and who judges whether the case is reasonable? There's so many unanswered questions. I know. So that's that's something I'm looking to like explore in like the coming weeks. But I also do know that apparently in like usually the first the first college semester they do this format. And then in the second half of the year, I mean the second half of like the the, the second semester they usually transition over to BP because that's when Worlds happens. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, so that will be a uh, lot a lot more familiar. But it's interesting because I remember my first time coming to Taylor's Debaters and the my first introduction to that was uh, Naveen and Kimberly and, and Ploopy and all the other like, and Max and all the other like big accomplished debaters giving us an introduction into debating. And honestly, it felt like the onus was really like on competing and I know Taylor's debaters eventually like now we have like a very like a family vibe I would say and it's very mm-hmm. like welcoming but at mm-hmm. first I think the first impression I got was like wow these are super good debaters and they're all here to compete and everyone needs to work hard at getting better and pushing themselves and you know competing and I even remember like doing my first meeting which was in person and that was the first time I also met uh, Marcus and Myra by the way and we did like a mock debate and I remember it was like super competitive, especially like Marcus and Myra were like on one team and they were like really going for it. And I was like, I was out of like debating for like a lot, a few months at a time. I was like, this is so overwhelming. Like everyone seems super competitive here. Like I need to work really hard to fit in here. And then when I come, when I came here for the first time, I was actually going in with the mindset of expecting the same thing. Like when I came to the club, I was like, okay, I feel like I really need to impress. Let me show them that I know how to debate. And it turns out it just really was just an info session. Like, okay, what is debating? Debating is all about having an opinion and debating and like stating your case. And they just debated <laughs> simple emotions at the start. And I was like, okay, oh I need a tone. I need a tone down. <laughs> this is not at all what I was expecting. This felt a lot more welcoming, but also a bit, it was a bit strange. Because you know how I mean, it I, is at Taylor's, it's so competitive, it's, and here it's just it's like baby Asian steps. Blood. Yeah, like, it's just Asian blood becoming competitive, and here it's just like, no, we're taking baby steps. We're gonna teach you all about debating from like Aww. the ground up. Ah, <laughs> oh, the patriarchy versus the matriarchy, huh? That's <laughs> <laughs> like I think one of the motions they talked about first was uh, it wasn't like to say like uh very like baby motions, but like should like. This house believes that it should be legal to disclose if you believe your house is haunted before putting it up for sale. Oh my god. <laughs> that was one. Another that was so that was very interesting to debate about. And especially the responses that you would hear from some people. Would you no- say would you say it's um it's way tougher to like impress or easier to impress out there? I would say it's it's different because I think 
if you actually start debating, it would be easier to impress because from what we're used to, we're used to like competitive debating. We've been to tournaments and we've been to like collegiate level uh, events and we've had like very good trainers. So like automatically our mindset is like to compete and to structure the case well. But among the other students here who are new, it feels like their go-to is to just like, you know, debate the case. I feel like they're advantages to vote. But I think in general, when you start speaking, it's easy to impress. But ultimately, mm-hmm. in terms of giving opinions, it feels like everyone here is at, is as capable as each other at articulating it. Because this is a bit of a sidetrack, but one thing I've noticed from like even like my regular classes and my writing class is that people here are more they tend to give opinions more like liberally and it's easier for them to speak up. Like I remember distinctly being back in high school in Malaysia and when, when like your teacher would ask a question, every, there would just be silence. Like no one want to answer. But yeah. when things are opened up to class discussion here, everyone's so eager to give their opinion is oftentimes like, I find it difficult to get a word in edgeways sometimes, but yeah. <laughs> it does, if it's so different. The highly extroverted people in your class, huh? <laughs> I know, it's, but it feels like it's that, that everywhere. Like even the, the people who seem extroverted, you see them putting up their hand and like, you know, giving their opinion. But, but then again, like now over here, participation is also like part of your grade. So I think that's like the added incentive to like, you know, give wow. your opinion in class. <laughs> There's a participation mark in the grade. There is. Yeah. It's like 5% or 10% depending on the lecture. But yes, there is participation wow. here. <laughs> Very high school. <laughs> I know. It's, it's so different. There's like, and then like your exams, like are a specific percentage of your grade, your assignments count more than they would have back home. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely a difference in, in college. I mean, in uni, sorry. Because I know a lot of people say that, like, uni is better than high school. I kind of feel like, although I feel more busy right now with all the assignments and different classes and obligations, I do feel it's a lot more structured. Like, at this point of time, I know of, like, okay, if I can complete my task for the day, if I can do my work, if I can get my reading done, I know that I'm going to get a good grade. Whereas back home... No matter, even if I do my homework or I don't do my homework, at the end of the day, I'm, my fate is still decided by one major exam at the end of the day. And yeah, that that's, been, that's the you know, nicest thing about uni, I'm telling you, Rish. Yeah, the way that the percentage is structured around like your assignments and your exams. So you have like a, a better chance. The odds of you turning out with a good grade is much higher because A-levels is hell in comparison. I mean, like in hindsight, honestly. Definitely. I mean, it was... Yeah, it will felt like hell too. But like right now, like experiencing uni and then looking back, it's even more for hell, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. uni was bad. But then when you actually go into uni, like, wow, I really had it that bad. Yeah, like uh, this is what it feels like to like be happy and study. I never knew, like, I, I never knew what this was like, you know, to experience the joy of like learning something. <laughs> also, but Lean, I must ask, did the majority of people in your degree do A-levels or did they come from different backgrounds? Oh, they actually, most of them come, came from different backgrounds. I think most of the people in my batch actually did foundation. Ah. Um, I think I was one of the few people who had done A-levels. So yeah. Lean, because I can relate here because most of the people here are from like, the American high school, school system and the most the challenging thing they did was APs or they did the IB program. And of course, like international students do A-levels, but the majority of people are like from a high school system and honestly doesn't it I don't know if you felt the same way but I feel like wow I really had to work so much harder to get to the same yeah. place that these people yes. did 
Yes, yes, I definitely felt that. 1000%. I was like, I went through hell and back to be here and y'all just went to foundation. I know. It just feels like sometimes I have I have this thing with Kishore because Kishore is also overseas and he's doing he's like at Ireland, but he also did foundation to get there. And I'm like, so it could have been easier. Like, why did I put to put myself through all of that? I mean, honestly, yeah. it feels like you do come out like stronger for the experience because I think without A levels, I wouldn't have, you know, had the foundation that would have helped, you know, made my like yeah. transition to degree a lot easier and also being involved with all the clubs that Taylor's had to offer. Well, technically I only really did stick with debate. Because that was like the only club that, you know, really like welcomed me and I felt like I could be my my authentic self in. But it really does feel like you had to go through so much. And then when you come in, it's like, this feels a lot like calmer than I expect, you know? Do you feel like the pressure's off in a way? It's hard yeah. to explain because people tell you that uni is so stressful. And it is, it is a lot of work at uni, but it's not as bad as like being in high school and grinding towards a result and, you know. Mm. Oh my god. I think it's like you're so right. I think the reason why people like the people who say that uni is stressful and getting a degree is stressful are they the have people not who been through levels. Yeah, one thousand yeah. Oh my god, my like cash I have to say one thousand percent a billion times. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely it's definitely like No, because uh, it is a mutual agreement. To... I mean a lot of the experiences we have are essentially yeah. pretty similar even though it's different. Yeah, yeah. But like also, I think uh, the very big plus point that comes through going through hell is like, like I think you have a better. I I mean, you would like to believe that you have a better background than the people who just did foundation, you know. Oh, definitely. And I, yeah, I think it's definitely like true as well. Like, cause I think for me to um doing biological psychology and also cognitive and even social after going through like A level bio and A level chem and even like quantitative methods and research that I have in psychology everything feels so much like it's a lot less heavier in comparison to like what I see my batchmates going through like I feel like I get a grasp of it like quicker as well so I think that's maybe the advantage that it gives you a little bit of an edge for for real like even doing the math now I'm like okay I've done something similar before and further math and then like now I see people struggling with them like okay I can handle this this isn't so bad and it like yeah. sort of gives you that platform. But of course, the downside is, you know, the one and a half years or two years that you spent grinding out these, you know, these grades and studying for it. But ultimately, yeah. I guess it all works out in the end. I feel like even though everyone seems to have their own different background, in the end, we all sort of like end up at the same like place in the end. It's just that like, you know, you sort of end up richer for the experience in that sense. Yeah. That that's very true. Yeah, I think that's definitely it. It's just the experience that carries you through and gives you the edge, whatever you do. Sometimes you feel like, especially like as an international student, maybe you can relate to this as well. It's more like you do feel conscious about your background sometimes when you're interacting with other people. Like especially when you hear things or you like be with people who say things differently from you or they have like different experiences and because you've experienced the world differently, it's kind of eye opening. But in a sense, you can also sort of feel like proud that you've been through a totally different experience than other people have. Like, I feel like for me, going to A-levels and and coming from the Malaysian high school system, as opposed to like people being in like, from coming, like international students coming over from like international schools and like our experiences are so different, yet we can all sort of add something to each other along the way. It feels like such a it's such a powerful thing that you you can like gain something from from other people every day 
And at the same time, you kind of appreciate your background and you appreciate the journey that you took to get there. Because for me personally, I feel that like coming to the US is, I think I've spoken to Erica about this before. It's it's not like a common step among students like within my batch. Like I'm pretty sure from my A-level class and like you can extend it to like my class in high school. I'm pretty sure I'm the only person from those batches that is here right now. And honestly, I feel that the steps I had to take, although it was like a hard journey, the fact mm-hmm. that like I'm here now and experiencing a totally different way of life, I come to realize that like there's a newfound appreciation for what I've done. But also I feel mm-hmm. on like a healthier, more like self-care kind of note. I find that I I've appreciated the journey more and I've appreciated my own like with myself my self-belief and strength to be able to persevere to get to where I am now because honestly the process of like applying to a uni overseas and you know taking a step to go is it takes a lot of willpower to leave behind whatever you feel comfortable because for a long time I think on this podcast and like talking to people from Malaysia the general consensus is a lot of people want to go overseas uh, or want to like take the step to try a new experience abroad to for the degree because they feel that it could benefit them but also it's like beneficial for their their career at large but at the same time even though like in your head you know that it's the best thing to go once you're actually there i feel like number one i realized that wow like i actually took these steps and now i'm finally here but at the same time, you sort of realize things from home that you got comfortable with. And now that you miss, you tend to appreciate those things more, I suppose. Because mm-hmm. I honestly, it's only now that I realize how like important my friends from home have been. And the fact that I haven't been keeping in touch with them as much, it does hurt a little bit. Like it's something I want to try and work on. But at the same time, you also know that it's like a necessary step that you have to take. And then that sort of gives you comfort. Like, I think being away from family has been one thing that has stuck out to me. Because I think on a previous episode, Kishore has mentioned this to like Eric and Bolade when they were on and we were talking about applying overseas and moving to different degrees. I'm sure we need to do a follow-up episode with them one day because like we're all in different places and like, we need to stick together as Taylor's debaters. That ex co is like mm-hmm. such a great team. But yes. when we were talking to them, I think Kisha brought up an interesting point when he was like, You won't, I don't think we will miss family as much because now we have video calling and like you can, you can just like set aside time to call your parents and talk to them every day. And because he made an interesting point about since things have been online mostly like in other countries for the past year and a half. It's, it's, you've essentially already gotten used to that kind of communication. Like you've been keeping in touch with friends uh, through that medium. And essentially you could do the same with family. I have to say it it's really not the case, especially because over here, things are more opened up. So you're essentially meeting people all the time. And oftentimes, like sometimes even though you do enjoy the solitude, you do want to go back to your family. It's like very different talking to your parents over the phone or and talking to your siblings over the phone it's that sort of thing like I think I hope I'm not going off too much of a tangent here Lean, but I feel this is something that's no I I think yeah yeah yeah, but that's quite close to my heart because I don't know if I mentioned this previously but I have two 
autistic siblings who are younger than me and are at home in Malaysia right now. And mm-hmm. oftentimes, a lot of the, I used to spend a lot of time not just caring for them, but also spending time with them because I recognize that they, they do need more attention than most. And mm-hmm. I think I haven't really shared as much with other people a lot, but I think being being away from them has been tough in a way because for them they're at a stage where communication is not like second nature to them yet and so mm-hmm. not seeing them in person means that I have I communicate with them a lot less like I do talk to my parents every so often because you know like you can call them every day but because mm-hmm. my brothers have different sleeping schedules it's often difficult to talk to them but also at the same time difficult to explain to them where I am like example mm-hmm. with my youngest sibling um he's five years younger than I am but he's yeah. also like a bit like a lot more behind in school because you know of their situation and they're basically homeschooled so sometimes when I call home like a video call and like uh my mom like gives the phone to my brother to like you know talk to him and essentially sometimes we don't end up talking it's just either my brother ends up smiling or sometimes Sometimes it feels like when he's not in like a really good mood, he thinks that my picture is just like a photo, and he just yeah. like stares at it and smiles. And like even if I talk to him, he doesn't respond sometimes. And I kind of miss that physical connection, because yeah. for me that that connection was how I really like got through with them. Like the older of my two siblings sort of like understands that I've gone to study, but every time he sees me, he's always like. He's always repeating that, oh, I'll come back in December. I'll come back and see them for a holiday. Like, I've gone on holiday, essentially, or, like, I will be back. And with mm-hmm. the quarantine situation in Malaysia, honestly, I only, like, in December, I have, like, my SEM break, which is only, like, a month. And with the current status quo in Malaysia, I do believe if you enter the country, you have to quarantine uh, for two weeks. But now I think there's a new ruling that you can apply for home quarantine so yeah. like when I speak to people here, a lot of people say that like, oh, you know, it's not worth going home because, well, you have to quarantine for two weeks and you'll only be spending two weeks there and then you'd have to fly back really quickly. But on a personal level, I feel that I want to because I don't want to lose that, the physical connections with my siblings. It's not like, it's, I know like they're not going to forget that I exist. It's just that, you know, that relationship doesn't, that relationship isn't getting any stronger with me being apart. Like, although, although I am here overseas doing what I need to do to like enrich myself and enhance my career at the same time, I, I feel that I feel obligated to ensure that like my brothers remember that I'm still a part of the family and I'm still, you know, a part of the process of them going through life and getting better and wanting to be there for them. Like, I don't want to feel like I'm leaving them behind. But at the same time, it's hard, you know, to keep in touch, especially when like the traditional means of like keeping in touch don't don't exactly apply. So yeah. in that sense, I feel like that's been for me the single biggest challenge that I've had to overcome is just trying to like tell myself that things are okay, even though I can't exactly talk to them or be there for them, that I know that like life does go on and eventually. I will come back and I will see them and things will be okay. It's just like, you know, getting used to not like being apart from them. That's been like, for me, a big challenge. That sounds really hard, Rish. Thank you for sharing that. That, that sounds like a, it sounds like a very like heavy thing to carry around, to be honest. Like I, 
I think definitely um it's it's a very hard thing to like get used to I think no matter how much we are used to the online life and virtually talking to people I think honestly like human interaction it's not I don't I don't think it can ever be fully authentic when it is online because like there's so many things like the subtext of our actions and our like tone and seeing a person in real life and like feeling their presence with you is the way that we connect right and especially mm-hmm. like with family and with siblings uh and having siblings that are neurodivergent like it's going to be really hard for them to understand where you are and to like know where you are in life and might feel like the connection is being tethered but you're right you will definitely be going back and you'll definitely like be able to maintain that bond with them but also i think this is a good test for you to in the context that you know they're also going to have to function like um autonomously i think and independently to a certain extent one day one day so i think maybe there's a good practice of like like learning like you know like e- even though you guys might have physical boundaries that like uh won't like allow you to be as bonded as you were back when you were here in malaysia it definitely doesn't like make your relationship any less significant even though it might feel like it so I know it's like really hard to I think nothing that I can say will probably like um make you feel better about it but I think like knowing that you can go back to them is definitely a very comforting thought that I think you should hold on to and also the understanding that like you know when you have a sibling like no matter how far you are like there's still there's still that connection and it's not something that can be severed i think unless you do it purposefully by time or by the lack of contact it's something that definitely can be revived so maybe like this is definitely like a new experience for you being away from them and maybe like taking this opportunity to see how you grow and how you like learn a new part of your identity while you function on your own without them being physically present in your life could be a very interesting experience like i've like reflected very recently on how i've changed like without my sister like being here like physically with me and i think um and then and then talking to her online it she's become like much more emotionally mature and emotionally independent without me and it's so nice to see her grow and to see myself grow and it's not necessarily a bad thing just because we are apart and i think that really applies to everyone like whether it's us neurotypical people or neurodivergent people like i think there's a possibility of like you know them learning to cope with different things without you around as well and it could be really helpful yeah and everything is a new experience and embracing it like even if with fear like ultimately will just lead us to greater good is what i believe so you're doing something really bravish and um, i definitely agree that I think like you going back home no matter the 14 day like quarantine wait would definitely be worth it and you should take that opportunity if you can. You know Lena I really appreciate that and you you're so right about being them be them like being able to grow without me me being there and you know whether you're neurotypical or neurodivergent I I do feel that like eventually you're still growing up and time time really does wait for no man and eventually we all have to move on and try to grow at our own pace and i think even though at this point for me i feel that that process has been accelerated somewhat or it's 
sort of like taken me by surprise because it's not something that I've actively thought of. I do look forward to seeing them grow and seeing myself grow because I think ultimately whatever we're doing like in life, like whether we're achieving our goals or pursuing things for our career or trying to make new connections, ultimately we're doing this for personal growth, right? Because we need to do things for ourselves sometimes. And to see yourself grow and to see other people grow, I think that is the most powerful thing because I think that really is the whole the whole point of life itself. Whatever we're doing is for personal growth, but also to see others grow, like the people we care about, for them to grow and become emotionally mature and emotionally stable and to be able to function in life because we all know that like life is temporary and time is short, but mm-hmm. at the same time, we need to make the most of our time here and not just making sure that other people are capable of going through of like traversing that journey but at the same time you want to make sure that you yourself are capable of navigating that change and I think that would be this would be a great opportunity for me to like take that step and I'm sure that this is something that you've probably reflected on as you've gone abroad and you've been away from family and I'm sure other people like Kishore and other people who have like taken this step will also like tend to reflect on I do believe that mm-hmm. being in a new place it's it's very exciting and you do experience a lot of things but ultimately I feel that like that time of personal reflection to see how that relates to yourself is also very important because at the end of the day you think you need to remember why you're here and what are you doing these things for and it's like important not to get consumed by just looking at your calendar and seeing what tasks you have to accomplish and what meetings you have to go to. But it's very important to like take a step back every once in a while and remember why you're doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a very, very like perfect way to encompass it, Rish. Yeah. Like you're you're so right. Um, I think like everything can be overwhelming and can be magnified, especially when things are foreign and there's so much stimuli, like there's so many things you get distracted by. And all the beauty of it lies in you taking that step back here yeah, and seeing how you've grown because every single experience you have, like whether it's with the people you thought you would have it with or by yourself or with different, or with a different, completely different group of people than you imagined having, every single one of those experiences contribute to you in some way and it makes up a chunk of your identity somewhere and reflecting on that piece of your identity and how it affected who you are as a person and how it has changed your views is something really beautiful and very uniquely human, I think. And honestly, it kind of like, I think at least for me, it sums up a lot of like questions and queries in my head about the purpose of life. Yeah. And like the idea that every human experience can be beautiful and moving out from your, like from things you're familiar with is a great way to like really push yourself out of the comfort zone. I think you mentioned like the idea of going to the States being a huge step. And like, I can so like understand that, although I can't relate, I can definitely see it um, because it's a completely different ball game having like, like not just like the superficial things like the weather and like, you know, the new like bus system or train like system. Like how we haven't even natural. mentioned those things yet. Yeah. <laughs> like things you have to like you know get accustomed to and like all of the other underlying things like you know having meeting as you said people who are completely different from you like not having any like mutual experiences that you can compare that's the idea is crazy but 
you know, as humans, we interact and function no matter how different we are. And we can still like find things that we can relate with, which is crazy to me, but also very beautiful. Yeah. That is definitely very true. And I think before we wrap up, Lean, I just have like two things that I want to like address so that we can like properly wrap this up. So first, uh, I know Kisho couldn't be here because actually because he says he's sick being like because the seasons are changing over in Ireland and it's apparently like really cold right now. I think it's like eight degrees Celsius yesterday. So, oh, no. so he, he's been sick. So hopefully Kisho gets well soon. But he did he did have a question for you, which I think I'd like to oh. read out. So right. Lean, do you think specific countries handle mental health better? Or do you think that there has to be universal awareness raised as no country has been doing enough for mental health? I think that's a really interesting question, Kishore. Like, uh, I think a trend I've been reflecting on, at least from the news, is, I don't know, maybe this is something that maybe I'm seeing as someone who is, you know, like, very much of a feminist. But I think a lot of countries in which, like, you tend to have, like, more, like, female-led, or I would say, like, you know, like a more matriarchal feel to it, you see that um, you have a better like mental health support system in those countries. Like for example, I think New Zealand or like Switzerland, Denmark, Finland, these countries in general um, report higher levels. I mean, people with higher levels of happiness and lower levels of anxiety. And I think this is something that's very generally accepted. Although like, well, that being the case, I think that is a result of like you know generational work towards like building lives that is more accustomable to like the authentic human self which means like i think going to work early and going to bed early and simple things like that that ultimately make up i think like our mental health because you know like when we go to work and how we go to work and how we interact with people all of these interactions we have in our day-to-day lives they truly make up like a good proportion of our like what we think about and what we reflect on. So it definitely makes sense why those countries would probably have like higher levels of happiness. And although that is the case, I do believe that in to address like, you know, the idea of mental health care is a different question and a different ordeal in general. Um, the There's lots of like stereotypes and like negative misconceptions about the idea of mental health, which you think in like this day and age, like would be somewhat resolved. But the truth is there's a lot of things that, you know, like we don't feel comfort interacting with, which I think is the biggest like barrier in most countries. I think it's the idea of discomfort that we hate more than the idea of actually talking about something. For example, when you like, I'm so sorry if there's anyone like who's triggered by this, but this is um the um suicide prevention month, and the idea of like talking about suicide on a national level on a government level, I think is um there are policies that I think every country tries to take in order to make these situations better, but the conversations are so limited and to very limited circles because of the societal discomfort we feel talking about these things. Like when someone says that they have like, you know, certain thoughts, like if they're feeling suicidal, if they're having depression, the person who is listening to this often does not know how to respond or like how to deal with the discomfort. So you end up walking away. And I think this can be seen on like, not just an individual level, but on like a government level as well. You 
like learning how to like deal with the idea that like your entire country like needs like high levels of support for their lives just to function because i mean the truth is the pandemic has truly turned i mean it has created a lot of turmoil like like for so many people not just grief and loss which are some really heavy parts that the pandemic brought but also like getting accustomed to a completely different life and like almost like going into culture shock because of the difference like that is between your past life and your post pandemic life all of these different variables that impact like who you are and um so i think to sum up my entire ramble about that i think the answer for kishore's question would be that i think every country whoever's like leading the effort or like even individuals like who want to do things on an individual level it's really important to know that like even one person admitting like they are you know like suffering from something and the next person being being willing to listen and to sit through the discomfort changes the lives of the people who will talk to them after that so just i think the idea of like people living like listening at a government level is what we need most for like mental health support at least in my opinion yeah you know that that's very true lean and i also think like i know you mentioned that like so much has to happen at like a higher level a higher level structurally in order for these things to get better but it's also very interesting when you when you put it about on an individual level just i know for a lot of people just even taking that first step of admitting that something's wrong or just even just sharing their thoughts just casually i think that's a step like no matter how different things may be culturally in your in your environment i think that's a step that we can universally agree on as something that's very difficult it's always like the first step of like wanting to open up to someone is something that's extremely difficult for everyone no matter where you are like i think there's this conception that especially in more western or more developed countries that people are more receptive and they're more it's easier to talk to them and it's easier to open up because people are more friendly and welcoming and while about like the aspect of people being friendly that is definitely true i think on a personal level opening up is something that's universally difficult to do and i do realize that although like there are support systems out there for people generally i think taking that first step is still really down to the individual and mm-hmm. i think personally like i think more needs to be done like from the ground up like starting from a young age and starting at school it's very difficult to implement obviously but you know you just need to tell people that it's okay to reach out for help even though it doesn't seem that there may be people out there to listen to you because i do think that you know like you mentioned that it's so different for everyone there's so many variables having to adjust from like a pandem- the pandemic hitting and then a post pandemic world like while honestly for me personally when i i feel that going outside it's like almost as if there was no pandemic but at the same time readjusting to that new normal again is like such a difficult process personally and i believe that everyone has their own struggle with that whether they choose to disclose it or whether they don't choose to talk about it it's difficult for everyone and i feel that there's still I agree like a lot more has to be done to get people to open up because I'm pretty sure that a lot of people are still shouldering this burden on their own and like they need to know that you know there can be good help for them 
it's just, you know, they need to take the steps to open up. But generally on a huge scale, I, I agree, like a lot more has to be done. Yeah, but Rishio, when I think you're 100% right in saying that, like, most of the work that should 1000% has to be done, I think, starts from the ground. It starts from, I think, even if it's like just your family or just your friend circle, um, having them accept that mental health is something real and not something fanciful and it's as important, if not more, than your physical health. Um, I think it's the beginning of good things. Um, I think like from very small age, we are taught to um, take care of our like physical health, right? Like we learn how to take care of our teeth. And like when we fall, we learn that we need to cover up the wound so it doesn't get infected. And like simple things for physical health, like since we're children. But I don't think anyone teaches us um, how to deal with sadness or loneliness or grief or stress or anxiety. Like, and these are very real things that we feel like, like from the moment that we are born. So I think the idea of learning emotional first aid along with physical first aid is a conversation that definitely can happen, like between parents and children, teachers and their students, friends and friends, and all of these tiny interactions ultimately make a huge impact because it normalizes like, you know, the idea that it's okay to be feeling like this and there's nothing wrong about you just because, you know, you're feeling this way. Yeah. Well, definitely, I do agree that it's definitely a conversation that needs to happen. And I think, Lean, as just to an aside, we've talked a lot about acclimatizing, how our mental health may be affected. And we've talked about the general advice that, you know, based on your experience and what you've observed, uh, how we can navigate these tough times for people. But I think just not just for people who are acclimatizing, I think also for people who want to move but haven't moved yet, and maybe might be afraid of taking that step. Do you have any like words of encouragement or advice to them for people who are contemplating making this big step in their lives? I think the one piece of advice that I can give is your life um, will become more meaningful with the more experiences that you have. So if you do have that bravery to take that step, take it because at the end of the day, even with like, you know, the initial loneliness, the initial stress that comes from moving out and maybe living on your own and going to a completely new place, a lot of good things can come out of it too. You learn how to be more independent, you grow as a person, you have more enriching experiences and all of these things, even with the initial like, you know, like tremor of bad like the good stuff can be really good. So it's important to keep the bigger picture in mind. As as overwhelming as it might seem, like going through those steps, like the administrative procedure of moving and then finally taking, you know, getting on that flight and going to a new country and like seeing like what the place you're gonna live in is gonna look like are all experiences that you can grow in. So the more you view it from that angle, I think the more open you can be to newer experiences. So anything in life, it's a new experience and moving out and moving on to a new land is a very, very cool one.
Right. So there you have it. And I think the general takeaway for me is like, be it a new experience, going to a new country, maybe you're still in this country or you're just about to start university or you're just about to go and get a new job or move on to a new phase in your life. I think ultimately we should look at it as a new experience and ultimately all new experiences help us grow in some in some way, shape or form. I'm pretty sure we've all experienced this in any phase of our lives. Even the pandemic hitting itself was such a big learning curve for all of us. And we've we've been the fact that you're like here listening to this today means that you've successfully navigated that change. And that should be proof enough for you that like, because this is something unprecedented. We're like in unprecedented times right now. The world is still recovering from the shock of it all and trying to get back to something that sort of resembles normal. And the fact that you've been part of the change, it just shows you that, you know, you've been able to take that experience and grow from it. And ultimately, any new experience that you have can lead to that growth, which is ultimately what it's all about, personal growth. And I think with that being said, that's all we have time for today. So thank you so much, Lean, for coming on the podcast. We do hope to have you back soon on like future episodes where we can talk about things like this. Mm -hmm. I would love that. I had a great time, Rish. It was lovely, like reflecting all of this on on all of these things with you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh yeah, go ahead. I hope Kishore like gets well soon and hope we can meet Hanan and Mingzer as well later on. Uh yeah, um I think this was a very nice experience. Thank you for thank you for having me on. No worries, Lee, and thank you so much for being for being on. It was a pleasure. I really feel that this was like an important topic that people need to listen to because I feel like this advice it may not apply to all of you, but there may be some people out here who need to listen to this and I do hope that whatever we put out can sort of be like a motivating spark or sort of like a general advice, something that can keep you going or can even push you towards taking that next step. Who knows? Because these are unprecedented times and we all need to, you know, have that reassurance that we're on the right path. And with that being said, thank you all so much for listening to another episode of the Tondo Did the Podcast. If you like this episode, please do give us a follow on Spotify. Do share this episode on your socials. If you have any more ideas of what you want to hear or you want to give us feedback, please do reach out to us. We really appreciate your feedback and support. It's been over one year, over 1,000 plays and over 50 episodes of us doing this content here. We really appreciate all the support and we hope to see you in the next episode. Goodbye.